Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, hi there. I'm Rob Cole, and I am a sales specialist at Jardine Coach to Ferrari. Hi, I'm Chris Mann, and I'm the master tech here at Jardine Coach to Ferrari. The Driven Chat podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Driven Chat podcast. My name is John Markar and I am bringing you a very special episode today because I am talking to two award-winning Ferrari employees at Jardin Colchester Ferrari, a brand new refitted showroom here in Colchester with two very special people. The people that you're hearing from today are Rob Cole, who is the Tester Rosser Award winner, the top sales executive for 2021, and Chris Mann, the Tester Rosser Award winner as top technician 2021. I cannot tell you how special it is to have two Tester Rosser Award winners in the same dealership. It is unheard of. And this is the best in the world, worldwide. So forget every other dealership in the world, this one here in the little town of Colchester has produced the two top Testarossa Award winners, Chris and Rob. I'm going to dive straight into this conversation because it's a really good one. In this chat, we are going through the trials and tribulations of selling Ferraris, servicing Ferraris with some horror stories, funny specs, you name it, we discuss it in this chat. So I really hope you enjoy it. And I will speak to you at the end. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Driven Chat Podcast. And I'm really quite excited about this episode. Uh, Well, for a few reasons. Firstly, I am sat in a building surrounded by Ferraris and in the quite literal sense. And we're not talking run-of-the-mill Ferraris, if you can even say that. Uh, We're talking F40, F50, 
Enzo, LaFerrari, 812, Monza. And these are just the cars I can see from where I'm sat right this second. And we're at a very special event at Jardine Colchester Ferrari, um, a pretty special Ferrari dealership that you're going to hear all about in this episode. And what makes it even more special is I'm joined by two people with quite an incredible accolade in their own fields. Chris Mann, who is the top technician, winner of the Testarossa Award, and Rob Cole, also a Testarossa Award, the top sales executive for Ferrari. Welcome, gentlemen, to the Drum Chat Podcast. Hello. Hi. Now, firstly, let's get started on that accolade of awards, because I, I think this was uttered to me before we start, before, well, before I came down here today, um, thanks to lovely Dave, who's arranged this day, effectively. He, he kind of got in contact, slipped into the DMs and said, would you guys like, like to come along and have a chat at our brand new showroom that we've just refurbished? And the answer was definitely yes. And I then went on to learn that you're both, or, or the showroom, I should say, the dealership, had two award-winning employees here, one in servicing and one in sales. And then what I went on to realise is that the awards that you have make you the best in the world. Indeed. Yeah, definitely. I, I like, yeah. What I love is that you both just nodded with certainty. <laughs> like, yeah, that's absolutely right. So I need to understand, before we delve into this wonderful world we're in, how on earth do you become the best salesman in the world for Ferrari? Because, and this is absolutely no offence to Colchester and the people of Colchester, but we're not in Ferrari Beverly Hills here, are we? Or Miami Beach or Dubai, where you perhaps expect that would be the easiest place to sell cars. How do you go about becoming the best in the world in Colchester? Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one because, like you say, we are East Anglia. So we are on a little bit of a limb. We're only an hour from London, but ultimately you've got dealerships in and around London who have got a lot of footfall for that particular reason. So it's more that Ferrari based their metrics not on, oh, you're the best if you sell the most cars. It's a lot more based around customer experience, your knowledge of the brand itself and your understanding of the different programs that the brand has to offer from personalization on new cars to the events that they'll run uh, that clients can get involved with, things starting at the level of the, the just attending the challenge racing and doing track days, racing in challenge racing, um, events like Targa Florio, Ferrari Cavalcade. So it's having an all-round understanding of everything that Ferrari can do and ultimately trying to know the most about each of those individual aspects rather than just being a specialist in one. Got you. And then to Chris, well, firstly, Rob, you've been here seven years, is yes. that right? Yeah, seven years. Chris, you've been here for 16 years. Yeah. You don't look old enough to... No, when, when no, you... no, not a day over 12. <laughs> so, and again, I mean, same question. So when did you start? How old were you when you started? 16, straight out of 16 school. 16 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it, it wasn't quite straightforward. So uh, when I was going through my exams at school, uh, we sat with a careers advisor and they obviously questioned what we wanted to do. Yeah. And obviously I said I wanted to get into the motor trade. So they introduced me to MTech. Um, submitted all my details and I was told that they would look for an placement for me um, hadn't heard anything for a while and it got to sort of end of August September still hadn't heard anything panicked a little bit so we looked at all the dealerships locally to where I lived um, and submitted CVs mm -hmm. and Ferrari were the only people that came back and said we have an opening do you want to come for an interview and I was like yeah definitely Wow. never in my wildest dreams thought that they would reply because you'd think um, I think most people they think if you've got that aspiration it certainly ran through my mind as well as a 
kid at school, didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up, so don't. Um, but I knew I didn't want to go to university and I knew I wanted to work somehow in the automotive field. And yeah. dad's a mechanic, or was a mechanic certainly when I was a kid, he's still in the motor trade now. And so one of the natural things was thinking, oh, maybe I'll just go into be a mechanic or yeah, be a service technician, something like that. Um, but I think Ferrari probably would have been at the bottom of my list of people who even bother attempting to apply for, because I think, oh, maybe you start at Ford or you start at Volkswagen or something, you yeah. work your way up. So did you have the same thing? Or yeah, did, definitely. Was yeah. it a bit of a, I'll try my luck and I'll put a CV into Ferrari as yeah, well? Yeah, definitely. And I, th I thought to myself, the answer is always going to be no if you don't try. Yeah. So I, I put my CV in and uh, yeah, Ferrari were the only people to come back and say, we have an opening, do you want to come for an interview? So I'd seized that with both hands and... 16 years later, here you are. Here I sit, yeah. There you it's go. It's been an amazing journey. There's an opportunity. So, for anyone listening, again, whatever age you are, I always like picking up on this. There are people that often listen. We all have these dreams and aspirations and ideas that, oh, maybe I could work for so and so, or maybe I could have a go at that. It really, this is a perfect example of just give it a go, throw it out there yeah. and see what comes in. Because, uh, yes, nine times out of ten, it might actually work. Yeah. You and go back to what I said earlier if you don't ask, the answer's always no. So, you've yeah. nothing to lose by trying. Exactly that. Great outlook, great outlook. So, uh, Rob, let's go into your background. So before you came here and started selling Ferraris, have you always been in the Ferrari world or did you start in another dealership or another field altogether? So half similar to Chris, when I left college, I didn't really have an idea about what I wanted to do. I'd trained um, in sports fitness and development and mm -hmm. was potentially thinking about PE teaching, sports coaching, but I had a part-time job from the age of 15 um, at a motor accessory store selling alloy wheels, lowering springs, um, upgraded exhausts, all the things that we used to be able to put on cars mm -hmm. back in the early 2000s. So left college and thought, okay, I'll just, I'll do this for a couple of years, see where things go and make a decision from there. And then I think it was about seven years later, I thought, probably should think about getting another job now. As much as I enjoy this, yeah. I probably should look at doing something else. So thought, what can I do? What with my skills and with what I know, what can I do? Where do I want to go? And it was always going to be cars because ever since I can remember, I've wanted to push toy cars around the floor. I've wanted to draw cars. I've wanted to watch F1. So I thought, okay, I want to get into car sales. Mm -hmm. Car sales sounds fun. One day it'd be lovely to work for Ferrari. So what can I do? How can I start that journey? So applied to the local Hyundai dealership near me just because they had a post advertised. So got a job there. Um, was working with them for I think it was about 18 months getting the, the hang of the way that car sales works as it's always a bit of a um, a mystery to people how salesmen actually operate and what's yeah. involved in the process so learn a lot from working there and then thought I think I'm quite good at this now so wh where else can I go so then moved across to BMW and spent 10 months working for BMW again just furthering on skills learn and kind of learning a bit more about higher net worth clients. I think with Hyundai, it's very much a case of, well, I'll say that because I drive one, um, but you've <laughs> got 60-year-olds who come in and, yeah, there's a car I'm going to buy. It's as easy as that. Yeah. But with BMW, it's a little bit different. You've got Mercedes as a competitor. You've got Audi. You've got high-level cars that you compete against, such as R8s compared to, at the time, it was M6s I was selling and things like that. But then it was randomly, one Sunday afternoon, I was at home, just watching a rerun of Top Gear on Dave mm -hmm. and the 599 GTO was on there. Yep. I thought, I wonder what it would actually take to work at Ferrari, like how many qualifications you've got to have in a year's experience, that kind of thing. So went on the, the local website for the dealer that we're at here and they actually had a sales job advertised. So applied for it and 
that was pretty much that seven years ago. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> and what are the main differences then? So in comparison to, say, working for BMW, which I think is a dealership that we can all envision walking into a BMW dealership, perhaps going to buy a run-of-the-mill 320D or maybe even an M3 or an M4. Um, what are the, is there a main criteria difference in being a salesman when selling a product like a BMW M3 versus a Ferrari? Or is it all... I like the... So, I like the mechanics trade of it's all nuts and bolts, effectively. Yeah. If you can service a Hyundai, you can probably eventually service a Ferrari because effectively it's all nuts and bolts, just yeah. it all down. Is it the same sort of concept in sales? It kind of is, but working with a brand like Ferrari, it's a lot more diverse than just you're a salesman. Yeah. So we, in particular, when I first started, my general manager said, you'll do a lot of hosting. And I'm like, what's hosting? Why, mm. What am I getting involved with with doing hosting? But Ferrari as well as ourselves, we do so many different events, uh, both in the UK, in Italy, um, various other countries, Belgium, Spain, racing events and things like that as well. And whereas when you work at BMW, you go to work at nine o'clock in the morning, come home at six o'clock, all you've done all day, you've spoken to clients, either on the phone, on the forecourt, via email, and you're trying to get little nuggets of information from them about why they want to buy your car. And you're then trying to latch on to those little nuggets to sell them your car, rather than them going elsewhere. Ferrari, the thing I say to everyone, I'm not really a salesman. Mm. I'm here to be an ambassador for the brand. If you've decided you want to buy a Ferrari, you're buying a Ferrari. You just want to buy it from someone you get on with and who can tell you the right information about the car. So it's more a case of knowing the product inside out, knowing the brand inside out, and being able to convey that to people as well as just being able to build relationships. So I think that's why my experience from customer service for kind of... what. It, 20 years I think it is now so yeah in September it'll be 20 years since I first started in my very first job so it's 20 years worth I've had of just dealing with customers and having conversations and I think that serves better in this role than being the classic ABC salesman always be closing yeah. always be looking yeah. to get to that end because people don't want to be sold Ferraris they they want to make that decision themselves they just want to enjoy the process yeah I guess in a weird way and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here but you could say that the customer that's coming here to buy Ferrari has probably already made up their mind, as you say. They've, they've come here because they know that this yeah. is the product that they want, which is probably a bit more similar to selling a Hyundai mm. than it would be buying a BMW. Because as you said before, going into a BMW dealership, you're probably also thinking, if you're buying a 3 or 4 Series, you're probably thinking about a C-Class, maybe an E-Class as well, as well as the Audi A4, as well as everything else. If you're going into the showroom to buy a Hyundai... Because everyone knows it's just a brilliant car that's going to do everything you need a car to do. Yeah. At that point, you're probably going in because that's the one you want. Yeah. So almost skipping over from the start of your career to where you are now, it's a similar process, isn't it? People it's are coming in, they know, what they, they know what they're after, they know what they want. Do you ever get people that come in and don't know what they want? Like they come in saying, I want a Ferrari, I've got the money to buy a Ferrari, but I have no idea which one. Yeah. Yeah, there's people who, like myself, it's always it was always an aspiration to work for the brand. So I thought... I'm not really going to do a job where I'm going to be at the point where I can afford one. So it's aspirational for me to work for this brand. Mm. Whereas you've got clients who it's always been an aspiration. They they started off with um, 
Porsches, they went to Aston Martin, and they've then gone up and gone, oh, actually, I think I can afford a Ferrari now. And you'll have some, it's just, it's not a statement about wealth, it's just, uh, I want to go to the garage, open the garage on a Sunday morning and look at my Ferrari and think, I've worked hard my life for, for what I want, and it was a goal to have a red Ferrari sitting in the garage, and I've got a red Ferrari. Might be a California T, might be a 488, might even be something a bit older, might be a 550, something like that. Some people it is just, no, I, I want to buy a Ferrari. Whereas others will have more specific needs. So, oh yeah, I do a lot of European road trips. I do a lot of track days. Um, I do a lot of um, cruising with the family, things like that. So it's very, very diverse. No two customers are ever the same in any way, shape or form. Brilliant. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And going over, let's jump over to the service side then. So I think it's important, Chris, that we, we focus a bit more on that fact that this is your first technician role yes and it's yeah, led yeah. you to being the best in the world do you have friends because this is always the way anyone you know, i've got a good few friends that own workshops or work in workshops and servicing it's always the way that when something goes wrong in your car your friend phones up and goes oh can you have a quick look at this do you get that with your friends in say focuses and, uh, now, and stuff? Yeah, not as not as much as i thought <laughs> uh, a lot a lot of my friends are quite hands-on themselves so they're Brilliant, quite happy yeah. to do a lot of their own little bits um, but I get a couple of friends that are like, oh, I just need a quick service. Can you just run it in yeah. uh, and, and do it? But they like to come in with the car because they just love to have a look in the workshop. Of course. And they love it. It's just eye candy for them. They're like, this is incredible. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's things in there that you'd never see in your life. No, I can imagine. You'll see a laugh with its back end apart having a major service. Yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of eye candy for them to have a look at. And is there every... So every model of Ferrari, is that serviced here or are there certain models that require a specialist team like LaFerrari or...? No, no. Um, I mean, LaFerrari will do. It will require a specialist technician, hybrid uh -huh. trained, because of the high voltage side of things. Mm -hmm. um, but every dealership is applicable. Got you. Um, if you look at Porsche, uh, their Carrera GTs and 918s only go to Silverstone, I believe. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ferrari, it can go to any dealership. Got you. Um, every dealership has a certain level to meet so they need to have a certain number of hybrid technicians mm -hmm. um a certain number of master technicians a certain number of diag technicians so we have a criteria to to meet to so to speak perfect and um, how how does the thinking back 16 years when you started what sort of cars were coming in at that point and how does that now compare because you know 16 years in the modern world of cars is a huge massive, steps isn't it for yeah. evolutions for ferrari it's been massive because yeah. i met the first First car I ever worked on, my first day, a yellow 355 Berlinetta. Nice. I remember it to this day. It was a service and cam belts. Um, and all we ever really saw when I first started was 430s, 360s. Mm. Um, I mean, 360s were just coming out of their warranty period. Right, wow. So yeah. it was that sort of time. Um, and to see anything like an Enzo was very rare at that point. Yeah. Um, so I was just completely awestruck whenever we had one in. Um, whereas now, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, we look out this door and we've got the big five. Yeah. Just sitting there. Um, it is, it's just incredible. It's, always, it's something about, I mean, I've said time and time and time again on this podcast, F40 for me is my, that's my poster car. That's my yeah. dream car. I know so, yeah. it's impossible to, yeah. impossible to say, you know, when it's like you go to, you see family at Christmas, they go, oh, what's your dream car? You're like, it's not as simple as that. You can't just say one. But the Ferrari F40 for me is definitely up there. It, same birth year, 87, came out. And I remember my, so my dad used to be a snap-on man. Yeah. And one day he bought home a Burago model of a 550 Maranello and a, 
uh, an F40, and it was a deal. Like if you buy a certain number of, spend a certain amount on Snap-on tools, you get these three models. Dad had a couple of these left over, and I just became obsessed with the two of them, the 550 and the F40. And to this day, I still, whenever I see a 550 Maranello or a Ferrari F40, I'm suddenly I'm five years old again. I'm like, oh, it's just amazing. So, yeah, I mean, how often how often does a F40 roll in for a service? Is that a, not very often? No, no, no. I think the last one we had in for a proper major service was about three, four years ago. It's very cars of that era now. They they kind of go where owners know Got specialists. Yeah. Um, they know someone. Oh, I know that tech. That work, he works there. He knows the F40 like the back of his hand. So yeah. I'm taking my car there. Yes. Um, yeah. A certain workshop in Chessington. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It'll be like a backstreet garage. It doesn't look like much, but his knowledge is sort of second to none. That's yeah. the territory those older cars are in now. Um, the LaFerrari, obviously, it's still relatively new, mm-hmm. even though it is nearly 10 years old. Shock. Yeah, it's amazing, believe? isn't it? Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, so they still come to main dealerships for the hybrid side of things, for maintenance, um, just to keep them, keep a classic A of inspections. So what, is, what would you say is the oldest car that typically rolls in at the moment? Is it all still fairly new stuff, or do you get the occasional 1980s and 1990s car that rolls Mostly in? Mostly 80s. Yeah. Yeah, 348s, 355s. 355 is obviously early 90s, but yeah, yeah 348s, 308s, Testarossas. Still nice. see a good, good number of them. Excellent. Yeah. That's good to know that yeah, they're it's good. still... And what's still the, use them. What do you think is the logic for people bringing them back to a main dealer? Because, of course, by that point, warranty is 15, 20 years gone at this point. Is it just because they want to know that it's a Ferrari technician working on the car? Or? Uh, it's a bit of that, and it's, I think it's also a bit of providence for the car's history. Yeah. So you look through the service book, and you've got main dealer stamps sure. left, right, and centre. So it builds a history for the car. Yeah. Um, Ferrari are quite big on pushing for uh, like classic A inspections and more recently they brought out a premium package program so mm-hmm. it's replacing all your perishable items within the car but yeah. keep it up to standard um, keep it genuine so it's, it's, it's built like I say earlier it's building history with the car yeah that makes perfect sense The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital and let's talk, so jumping back into the, the sales role. So, Rob, do you often get the classic stuff come in for people that perhaps either want to sell or anyone? Do you, do you still get inquiries from people looking for cars that are perhaps 15, 20 years old? It's fairly infrequent, but there is still a market for them. And it tends to be now people looking for the older cars. It's either to complete a collection or it's because, like you're saying with the F40 and the 550, I've, I've always lusted over that certain one. So you'll get people again who've got to a certain point. Find me a 550 in Argento Nürburgring with a blue Scuro interior that's done less than 10,000 miles because it's what I've always wanted. So you'll get requests for it. And the nice thing is we, we've got a good base of clients and we do see, as Chris was saying, a varied amount of cars in the workshops. So we do know people who potentially have these cars. So it is, again, it is nice to see rather than just seeing the current range of models we do like to have a 308 in the showroom an old 250 gt that kind of thing and we have done relatively well dinos especially over the last two or three years we have done a good number of dinos both gts and gt and i think that is that car is one that a lot of people like the f40 have just got a massive massive thing for because it was just such an iconic car in the 70s yeah, and the values of those now are crawling. Up by, yeah. I'm sure at one point they were going up something like 50 grand a year, maybe even more. It was yeah. just utterly, utterly ridiculous. 
Um, now, let's dive in. Well, firstly, actually, before I go into, I want to pick apart your histories and past a little bit as well, because I'm always fascinated to find out things like first cars and who, who had the coolest first car is what I'll get to eventually. Um, but again, with being the best in the world, I'm just going to keep saying it, best in the world, because it is such an impressive accolade. Um, does that mean that you often have to go over to Marinello? Or do you do a lot of what your, your training and eff effectively, I want to learn, how do you become the best? How does that become certified? Yeah, so um, in terms of training courses, we, we went through a little period where Ferrari were like, we want techs to come out to the factory mm -hmm. to do training courses. And for a few years, uh, we did. That stopped just before the pandemic all kicked yeah. off, I think, just because of costs of flying techs out, getting hotels, sure. flying back and whatnot. And that was, I loved it. I loved going out to Italy. Yeah. It's just, a lot of people say, oh, it's just an industrial estate. It is so much more than that. Yeah. It is, it's a brilliant place to be. You see so much going on at the factory, like prototypes of stuff. Mm. It's incredible. Um, but in terms of getting to the position to win the award, um, first step is Master Tech. You have to have Master Tech status. Mm -hmm. So you go for all your different training courses, um, and then the guy that takes the training courses at Fry North Europe, John Mitchell, yep. he'll then put you forward for your Master Tech status. That'll get approved. Um, once that's done, you need to be up to date on all your training, have full knowledge, full brand knowledge. And then um, it's usually about April, May time, you'll get your initial email saying, right, Testarossa Awards are starting. Um, your entrance exam will come soon. I've had the emails for this year already, so I'm prepping. Excellent. So uh, it will be a multiple choice questionnaire. It'll go through uh, the history of Ferrari, engine maintenance, diagnosis, so it'll cover it only skims the surface, so it's nothing too, too hard. It's just a test of water. Once that's done, uh, top 10 of every country then go through to the semi-finals, uh, where you'll face two practical tests. <laughs> so they'll put faults in cars, and you've right. got to find them. Uh, it's not just about finding the fault, though. They want to see you working out. Of course. So yeah. look, go back to your GCSEs. Yeah, show okay. me your workings. Yeah, show me your workings. <laughs> um, so I used to hang on to people that knew the uh, the the tests that have done them in the past. Brilliant. So, so I got a bit of a heads up on what they were doing, what was expected of them. Yeah. So I did my revision. Um, once you've done that practical test, the winner then goes to the world final. Wow. Uh, we've well, got four practical tests and two written exams. Um, normally, I've done it in 2020 and 2021, post pandemic. So it was all done via Zoom. Aha. Beforehand, it would be in Italy. So Rob did one. Uh, 2019, I yeah, believe 2019, it was. Yeah. yeah. So Rob went out to Italy to do his. It was a three, four day experience, um, and it was quite a nice thing. But uh, I didn't make the final till 2020. So it was a little bit disheartening that I couldn't go out to Italy. But obviously, given the situation around the world, we couldn't do that. Yeah. So it was all done via Zoom. So hopefully this year. Yeah, it was always this year. Yeah, we go back to Italy. Obviously, if I make the final, fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, so that makes sense to me, the whole kind of practical exam and show us your workings. From a sales point of view, mm. you'd, I'd expect, I guess like most people listening, that it's just whoever sells the most Ferraris is the best in the world. Is, that, is it as simple as that? Yeah, and it's an interesting thing when kind of you explain it to friends and family as well, saying, no, it's much more based on the other measurable metrics. So uh -huh. to be able to qualify to be nominated by your manager... Um, you need to be 100% with your classroom training, 100% with your online training, um, your Ferrari customer feedback. Um, so the feedback when you sell cars, uh, Ferrari will ask customers to complete a survey. Your feedback must be 100%. So as long as you tick those boxes, you can then move forward. 
they will then measure you um, against your peers by way of how many new cars you've taken orders for against the target of the dealership. Because obviously comparing us to another dealership, we might get less allocation than another. So if I've sold 10 cars, but someone else has sold 30 cars, I might have sold 80% of the allocation, they might have only sold 50. So they base it off of that. Similarly with used cars as well. So how many used cars you've sold. They'll also look at your personalization amount. So personalization is relevant to selling new cars. Mm -hmm. So basically option spend. So they'll look at those figures as well. And then from the the applicants they get, which will be one per de- one salesperson per dealer across the world, they will narrow that down to 60, who then complete um, two online multiple choice tests, one about Ferrari, one about competitors, so McLaren, Aston Martin, Porsche, Lamborghini. From that 60, it then does get whittled down to the final 12, and as Chris said, that's when, in years gone by, we've been able to, to go to Italy to compete, um, but in 2020, 2021, then that was done online as well. Got you. And what does that compete in Italy consist of? So when we are at the factory, it's done slightly differently to the way they do things in Zoom. So you can do everything that you do at the factory via Zoom, bar the test drive experience. Uh-huh. So in 2019, the first time I competed, um, we had to do a test drive experience with a Ferrari driver um, as us driving the car and basically just talk the driver through what we'd show the client, how we explain certain things work. Um, so that part, obviously, we can't do via Zoom. You can't really replicate that. It'd be a bit noisy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but with the other aspects of it, you've got um, two written tests. So again, you've got a Ferrari product knowledge and brand knowledge test and you've got a competitor knowledge test. Mm-hmm. You then also have a sales scenario which is broken down into an initial conversation with a a prospect who is new to the brand, who wants to know about Ferrari, who might be interested in a certain model. So you go through that conversation to then book them an appointment to spec their car. So once then you're at that point, you take them through the system on the configurator, so show them what options are available. And this this is where they try and trip you up because there are a lot of things the configurator doesn't show that you can do. So they like to know that you know things outside of the norm because ultimately a, a normal paint on a Ferrari is a free of charge option, whereas if you've got something like a Jalo Triplo Strato, a three layer paint, that's a cost option. So obviously selling more options benefits the brand and makes the car more personal. Yeah. So that they like to know that you're versed on that. And then the last test that you do, in person it's easier because you've got a physical car sitting there mm-hmm. and then you've got a sheet and you need to fill in on this sheet what options that car has got. But not only things like it's got a carbon fibre front spoiler, it's got diamond cut wheels, you need to know the colour code for the stitching of the horses on the headrests. Wow. You need to know if there's anything that's, again, not part of the stand options package and what the option code for that is. So it's very, it's very, very in-depth. Mm. And like I say, it's not just whoever sells the most. It is an overall knowledge of the brand. And it's more than anything being an ambassador for the brand as well. And who you, who's your fake customer at that point? Is that an employee at Ferrari? Yeah, so I'm quite lucky. Um, and if you speak to my wife, she'll tell you that I'm in Italy more than I actually am in England <laughs> in a normal world. So I get to go over there quite a lot to visit the factory. Yeah. And it is usually the, the guys and girls who work in the atelier and tailor-made departments um, at the factory. Because that is their job, yeah. then they're the ones who will test you on this and like to trip you up. Got you. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's a bit mean, but fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Right. The two of you, I'd like to know who had the best first car. 
Do you what already do you already know car? the answer right. to this for the well, two of you? Well, no. My, I mean, my, I didn't get my first car until I was, I was twenty-one. I oh, this gets better. Yeah. So you were working <laughs> on Ferraris yeah. at sixteen. I I did my bike test. Yeah. Uh, sorry, September 20, 2007, when I was soon as seventeen, and I did my car test straight after. I was okay. on a motorcycle for a few years to begin with. That was kind of like the thing at the time. Um, it was then at a point where I was like, right. I kind of want to start saving up to buy a house here, so I'm going to have to get rid of the bike, use that as a deposit, get a car. I had a Citroën Saxo VTR, oh, black. Good choice. That was slammed, so that caught the wheel arches at every speed bump. <laughs> it was my best and worst car, because I had so much fun in it, but it was being fixed on a daily basis. Okay, that's a, good, uh, that's a good entry. Can you, can you beat that? So you beat me by 0.2 of a litre, because I had a 106 Quicksilver. <laughs> oh, these are, these are prime first cars, though. Like these, these are S Exploit cars. Yeah. Proper S Exploit cars. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, okay, right. That's, that's very good. Um, <laughs> and what are you driving now? Are you, are you, is, have the things got better? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I've only had three cars since. So okay. there's a Saxo. I got rid of that a year later and I got a uh, 1.7 Astra H diesel I got I had that up until September last year where it died a death oh. it just needed so much work doing to it it just it cost too much to do um, so I got rid of that and I've now got a Seat Leon Cupra 300 very good yeah I got for the sports tourer I have children now so. oh it's a guy proper grown yeah, up yeah, yeah I'm a bit of a sucker for a sports tourer at the minute I must say yeah no it's good a fast uh, a fast estate is always appealing and uh, Honda I think we, we spoiled that one earlier didn't we yeah I've definitely had more than three cars I can um, <laughs> can't remember how many I've had now I've gone through various means but yeah at the moment uh, we've also I've got a little one as well yeah. uh, so wife has the, the family car and then I've got the i20N so oh, I've brilliant. got the, the little Asbo car yeah they are absolutely fantastic I love it it's yeah, brilliant so absolutely good. brilliant but so this good. is the, the hangover from working for Hyundai yeah. I know how good the cars are. The warranty is absolutely brilliant. And they make fun little cars now. Yeah, well, they nabbed the BMW M yeah. technician, didn't they? The, yeah, main, for their, the main man. For their N division. For, yeah, yeah, for the <laughs> N division. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I've had, a, I've had a good few rips in the um, i30N. In fact, yeah. I took one to the Nürburgring a couple of years ago as part of a bit of a PR trip. And it was just phenomenal. Could not believe how good that thing mm. was. So, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Now... I'm going to make an assumption, and that is that neither of you in your career have built up the level to buy your own Ferrari yet. Or, not or quite, am I wrong? Not quite. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be fascinated to know. I mean, obviously, we can, we can drool over the dream car and the absolute pinnacle. I think we're all in agreement that the F40 is, is the pinnacle here. Yep. If there was an entry-level Ferrari, or, or I've earned enough to perhaps attainably buy this model, what would it be? Let's start with Chris. Would it be entry-level or...? Whatever, be... something that in, in your vision, in your, your kind of future career, you can vision being an attainable possibility. Well, see, my initial one, if there was no holds barred, it'd be the TDF. Yeah. I've, just, I've got an obsession with the TDF. Yeah. I feel really attached to it. If it was, if it was off the, if I just walked in off the street and I wasn't a first time, if I was a first time Ferrari owner, I'd probably go for the SF90. Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, that's a bold, bold start as yeah. well. So fast. It is. It? It's so quick. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievably quick. I, get, I, I know a lot of people are a bit uncertain about it because it's, it's hybrid era yeah. and it's the first of its kind. Um, but the, the time that I've spent with it is just so fast. Yeah. It really is. It's, it's mind-bending. And it handles, it handles to suit as well. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Um, I'll probably, yeah, so I'll choose that for But if it was no holds barred, TDF all day long. Fair enough. All day long. Very good choices. 
I've always had a thing for 355s. Uh-huh. So I remember being a young lad walking down Culture High Street and a yellow fly 355 spider drove past us and I just drooled. Thought that is stunning. So if if it was the case of, yeah, maybe I could get one one day, then it would definitely be rather than a spider, I'd have a GTS. GTS, manual. Probably not Rosso Corsa because I'm not a Rosso Corsa man. Got to be some form of Jalo, uh-huh. and then with the carbon racing seats. And that that is a car that, at the time, yes, it was a severely fast, powerful car. You can drive that car now pretty much at nine or ten tenths everywhere, and it's not too fast for the road. It's mm-hmm. not too wide for the road. It's just an enjoyable thing, really, really enjoyable thing. And yeah, the noise is fantastic as well. Yeah. Are you going for roof or no roof? No roof. Yeah, we like, we like the standard. noise. We like the noise. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. It's good to get that uh, that roar from behind, isn't it? Okay, then. Right. So, sticking on the Ferrari fun quiz. So, pre nineteen nineties Ferrari, any engine, any spec. What's the pinnacle? Or well, let's start with Rob. There's a cheap and easy one here because everyone says two fifty GTO mm-hmm. because it is what it is. It is such a phenomenal bit of kit, but it's got to be V twelve because pre that era. Obviously, you had the V6s and the Dinos, mm-hmm. and then V8s in 308s. It's got to be V12 and just some form of 250. I mean, we're lucky enough. We've got a, a client who's got a 250 GT short wheelbase oh. that we see on occasion, and it is just an unbelievably beautiful thing. It's a bit of a pig to drive because ultimately they're old cars, so they mm. are a bit of a pig to drive, but the charm of it and just, again, the noise when it's singing, it is unlike anything else, really is. Yep. Chris. I'm going to agree with Rob on that one. Very fair. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't put that by myself. Okay, very good. Right, my next one then is, uh, again, any era for this one, the best V8 Ferrari produced, in your humble opinion. I think this is another one that everyone agrees and always says speciality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't not, it's... To this day, you, it, with, with I, I find that if you don't drive on for a long time and you all of a sudden, you, you jump in one and you've got a nice sunny day like today, it brings it all back. Yeah. It'll just remind you of mm-hmm. what it is. I think the noise aspect of a Challenge Shadale is just, they're brutal, absolutely brutal, but the all-round package and, again, Speciale, it's just such a fantastic thing. And the fact we've got the Aperta as well, Yeah. even if you don't have the roof down, get the rear windscreen down and you get all that lovely noise. And, and yeah, because that's the one big thing we had moving from naturally aspirated to turbo. Say, a lot of people said, hurrah, isn't it? oh, mm. it's the noise. It's not as noisy. Well, no, it's, it produces a different noise. But when you're so used to high-revving, screaming Ferrari V8s, mm. then that is the one that is just going to be the go-to. Yeah, very good. So we're both in agreement on that. Four Fave Speciale. Yeah, I have to agree with that, actually, as well. Because, again, it was a car that rather naively it kind of escaped my radar as a driver's car possibly because i didn't quite have access to drive one until one day i did and up to that point i was just set, so set in my mind that the best driving handling car in the world is a gt3 rs and you can't beat it and that was it as far as i was concerned nothing else was going to come along mm. and be as good as that and then a very you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. 
BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Pretty good friend of mine in Saudi Arabia on a trip over there said, oh, do you want to have a go in my speciality? And we did. We went out on this amazing driving road and I said to him in the car, I was like, right, um, this has put a bit of a quandary in my head here because <laughs> in the world of spending imaginary money that I definitely don't have and probably won't have, I've always thought I'm going to go and get a GT3 RS. Mm. But now this has done something quite different. That is truly, it is an incredible car, mm. isn't it? Just everything about it, the way it looks, the way it sounds, the way it drives. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. And values, again, of those are now yeah. skyrocketing, aren't they? Because, of course, they become so desirable. As you say, the last naturally aspirated or normally aspirated V8. Yeah, good stuff. Right, now I want to delve into the weird and wonderful of your roles. And I'm going to start with Chris. And one of my favourite things about having many friends that have workshops and work in workshops is hearing about the interesting bodge jobs that they sometimes have to fix. And I'd like to think that in a brand... For a brand like Ferrari, you're not going to get many cable-tied wiring looms, oh, yes. creatively used electrical tape, super-glued bits that shouldn't perhaps be super-glued. Does that happen in the world yes. of Ferrari ownership? Yes, it does, and it is a thorn in my side. I'll tell you what the worst thing is, is when people fit aftermarket trackers. Okay. That is, that's where I see it. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the time we'll get cars come in with the most obscure faults. Right. Um, so you do all your necessary checks, you check your power feeds, your wirings, your CAN networks, everything is reading correctly, and it's like... Something doesn't make sense here. And it's just a bit like checking all your roofs, you're trying different modules. Like, nah, okay. And you'll speak to the customer, it's like, there's something fitted here that shouldn't be. No, 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 definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> right, okay. And I think one time I had it where I spotted an aerial behind a dashboard and I was like, that's not standard. So I pulled it out and I traced it, traced it, traced it, and I found a tracker box fitted. Right. And it was bodged. It was electrical <sighs> tape, uh, there was no solder, and it was wine into multiple points of the CAN network, oh, power supplies for ECUs, and it was causing no end of grief. Oh, oh, oh here we go. So I just took it out, yeah. put it back to standard, tested it, worked perfect. I was like, there we go. And was that, did the owner admit to that? Or did they, oh, it must have been the previous owner. Uh, I never had the conf that conversation. That was one of our service advisors. But I was just so chuffed I'd found it. And yeah. I was like, oh. And that's, that's one of the things I bear in mind now, is that whenever we get a fault that's a little bit complex, I'm like, what have they had that's not, yeah. that's not meant Look to be there? unexpected. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Ferrari are a bit like that, aren't they? And, and the same, so I'm a bit of a, just touching on the bike thing, I'm a big Ducati advocate. And one of the big warning signs when the Ducati starts doing weird things, weird warning lights and things, it's always some sort of low battery fault. Or, yeah. They're so sensitive. Is, that, is this just an Italian thing? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're forever saying trickle charger, trickle charger, trickle charger. Yeah, yeah. Um, just keep them hooked up. Yeah. If it's in the car, if it's in the garage, plug it in. Easiest thing to do. A lot, yeah. A lot of the problems do stem from battery voltage. Yeah. I think it, going forward in, with any manufacturer at the minute, this day and age, battery voltage is critical for everything. Yeah. It's so dependent on it. Yeah. Everything's so techy, isn't it? Yeah. And so beyond the electrical stuff, is there any anything else that comes in? And again, we obviously don't want to uh, narrow out any particular customers yeah. here. And we, can, we can keep it vague. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, anything else that you come and you think, oh my god, what have you done here? Uh, aftermarket stuff again like wheel spaces that mm -hmm. have been shoddily fitted or aftermarket exhausts 
anything aftermarket that's non-genuine yeah. and it's been bodged on, it's just causing us a world of problems. Yeah. Um, we're seeing a lot of uh, straight-through pipes come through at the minute. Yeah. Everything's straight through. Some of it sounds good. Some of it, it's been done on the cheap and it's like, you can tell. <laughs> Somebody in a railway arches garage yeah, somewhere has that's it. Yeah. got the welder out and done some creative scaffolding. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's sort of mostly it, really. It's, ever, it's whenever there's been a third party involved and they've had some aftermarket stuff done, you, you can tell it's not been done to standard. Yeah. Um, and it needs a little bit more finesse just to make it look good. Got you. Right, on that same subject then, Rob, do you, I know we mentioned actually before we started recording the, the kind of tailor-made mm. side of things where people can come in and come in with a bit of a wild imagination, I want to have this, this, this and this. Does it ever get to the point where a customer comes in and they say, right, I want this, but I want that in pink, I want the wheels in green, I want the leather inside to be orange. Is there such a thing? Because I hear stories of this in Rolls-Royce where there's a, there's a, a particular employee at Rolls-Royce that has the role of going, I'm very sorry, sir, but uh, we don't do that here yeah. because that's too ridiculous. Yeah. Does that happen here? Do you occasionally get customers that come in and go, right, I want the weirdest spec, and can you think of one? Again, feel free to keep it vague <laughs> if you don't want to narrow a particular customer down, but yeah, somebody that's coming with a weird request. It's not too dramatic for things like that. You don't get people saying, yeah, I want a pink one with a yellow interior and things like that. You yeah. do get people with some oddball, wacky ideas, but ultimately our configuration system will let you build a green car with a cream interior with red door panels and yellow stitching so and as that's on the system it mm. gets built the the style department when it comes to cars that are either so we've got three ways of designing a car you can either do it at the showroom um, the atelier suite at the factory or the tailor-made suite at the factory mm. the style department are the the guru on telling you what can be done what can't be done and giving you an idea of how things should be done. So funnily enough, I'm talking to him at the moment um, about a, a tailor-made car where the customer wants certain dream lines on the car in conjunction with having a black roof. Mm -hmm. But because of the way that the star department have designed the car for him, they will only let him have one or the other. So they, they've said, if we do both, the car looks too fussy. So they only want to do one or the other and it's not a case of the customer saying, well, no, it's my car. I'm paying for this car. I want it. They'll go, well, no, you're not having it. Similarly right. to the fact that we had, um, when the 812 Competizione first started production, you could choose any color that you wanted for the stripe that goes mm -hmm. over the car. The, one of the first cars on the production line was painted, I think it was Argento Nürburgring with the Grigio Silverstone stripe, so a dark gray stripe. Mm -hmm. Now, because you've got the carbon fiber insert on the bonnet, and it's a dark colour, this then created a cross style pattern on the bonnet. Aha. So one of the heads of style was actually on the production line one day, saw the car and said to the production line staff, take it off. So they took it off and they then said to the dealer, you need to tell the customer that the car needs to be painted a different colour and he can't have a stripe that dark. Wow. So the customer was then told, no, you can't have the car that you want exactly the way you want it. You need to change it. So they, they are very careful about not allowing people to do anything that not will destroy the brand, but mm. isn't in line with their values. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are a few 
stories, I don't want to say horror stories, but stories of people that own their car outright. Mm. They might have bought it new, they might have it secondhand, and they decide to put like a wacky wrap on it. Yeah. And you hear these stories of getting letters from Ferrari, from Marinello, going, hi, uh, we see what you've done there. Yeah. Stop it immediately, because yeah. it's horrible. <laughs> I used to be head of production for the Gumball Rally, and we had a very famous case where, for one of the rallies, uh, Dead Mouse, the DJ, came yeah. along. I remember hearing and about wrapped yeah. his yeah. car with a Nyan Cat wrap. And Ferrari sent him a cease and desist yeah. and then threatened legal action. He was like, it's my car. Like, it's, it's my car and I've done it this way. He then later decided to go with a, another Italian supercar brand instead. But it does kind of make sense, doesn't it? You can see it from both sides. Both yeah. is the customer like, no, it's my car, it's my money, I've spent it and that's how I want it. But at the same time, Ferrari as a brand is such a, it's such a prestigious thing, isn't it? Years and years of heritage and motorsport and everybody in the world, regardless of your care or knowledge on cars knows what a Ferrari is you yeah. show them a Ferrari badge they know exactly what that is show them a Koenigsegg badge they might go mm, what's that is that a washing machine you know, yeah it's, it's one of those kind of things so yeah I do kind of get it have you ever run into that sort of issue yourself with somebody getting a bit too creative no we've not had anything along those those kind of lines no every every car that we expect here every customer we've had involvement with they're they're sensible to a certain extent you do get the odd one where People say, okay, well, when the car arrives, I'll do this myself, yeah. um, such as painting certain elements, body colour. Um, but bar that, it's it's not really an issue for the brand. It is only, when, like you say, if people do go completely off-piste and do some ludicrous things and the heads at the factory look at it and go, we don't want to be associated with that because that's not what our brand is about. Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. Right then, so let's, on that same theme, but with the positives... Do you have a particular, and you can feel free to say two or three if you've got two or three, a particular spec, tailor-made spec, where somebody came and said, I want this, 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 and this, and you were like, right, you have nailed it. That is the best possible spec. Yeah, we see so many different specifications because even if you've got customers who spec cars in Rosso Corsa with a black interior, then no two cars are exactly the same. With tailor-made, it is just such a world of varied options that... Someone can do an 812 super fast in a certain combination. You think, yeah, that's classy, that's beautiful, that's elegant. But then someone else might do a 488 piece of spider and you go, that looks like a race car. It's, it's very much a case of suiting for each one. But I mean, we're lucky at the moment we've got it's two, yeah, two tailor-made cars in the showroom um, that I've helped design. And between the two, they're completely contrasting. So we've got an 812 Superfast in Rubino Miklizato, a lovely dark, deep red uh, with a black and gold stripe, gold wheels, and then a heritage um, reddish-brown leather interior. Mm. And then we've got an 812 GTS finished in uh, a matte Kennedy for Chile with yellow and black stripes, uh, bulletproof Kevlar fabric for um, inserts on the seats and the carpets. I saw that. I and looked it looks in hugely that aggressive. The fact, firstly, I love a car that isn't spec'd with leather not yeah. for any particular you know, not for any particular reason other than I just I'm not particularly a big fan of sitting on leather mm. that interior I was trying to work out what that fabric is so that's Kevlar yeah so it's a, a they use it quite a lot I can't remember the exact wording for it I think they call it Kvadrat fabric um, and the wording they use at the factory is they tell you yeah it is a it's actually a bulletproof Kevlar type fabric huh. and because of its lightweightness they associate it with their Scuderia section of TaylorMade so TaylorMade has three different sections so Scuderia for the racing so inspired by the Formula 1 cars lightness racing cars um, Classico which is inspired by cars from yesteryear so we have things like wooden inserts and, and mm. old range leathers and then you've got Ineditor which is 
basically anything to your heart's content. You can turn up at the factory with a neoprene wetsuit and say, I want my seats to be that fabric. And within reason, it, it is doable. Wow. So it's, it's always such an experience to, to visit the tailor-made kind of area as well because rather than just creating a car from some predefined options on a screen mm. you've actually got a team who assist you in in building this car and lifetime they will photoshop edit every little bit of it for you and you can even go to the extent of saying you've put this dream line on there i want it actually to be three mil rather than six mil and can we put this color of fabric underneath this certain fabric as well and mix the two together so it really is it's just fantastic it's so so enjoyable as well yeah and if you were going to spec a car, what would be your go-to colour? I've always said Jallo Triplo Strato, which is the, the three-layer yellow. So the other 812 GTS we've got in the showroom is finished in that colour. Yeah. More recently, we've had uh, clients who have almost created colours. So used the colour that Ferrari have got already, but said, I like that, but I want it to be a bit darker, have a bit more pearlescent in it. Mm -hmm. So because they've then created a, a colour for us that hasn't got a name, the clients have then been lucky enough to name it. Oh, no way. So it's now something you think, well, actually, I really, really like BMW Daytona Violet, but yeah. Yeah. it's a bit too light for me. I want it to be a bit darker, but not quite as dark as Viola Hong Kong that Ferrari already do. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a difficult one because it very much depends on which car as well. Jalo Triplo Strato is an easy go-to because it's just a beautiful colour. Yeah. But if it was my own car, I would be thinking something ludicrous. I really don't know what, but a bright blue, a bright green, something along those lines. Yeah. Have you seen the Thunder Knight, the new BMW Yeah, Bowl? That's a great yeah. colour. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Right, Chris, on a similar subject, is mm. there a particular car that sticks in your memory that comes in that is, or even just you know, one that you see the booking sheet come in, you think, oh, thank God, it's a insert car here. What is what is the nicest car to work on even just for regular service uh, there's a particular TDF I look after mm -hmm. and I've looked after it his whole life from PDI I think it's five six six years old now uh -huh. six, yeah six years old and I've I PDI'd it I've serviced it every single year Brilliant. it's always been I've got such a good relationship with the owner that it's always myself that looks after it nice um, I started out looking after his 599 GTO well actually so that's how uh, it all started nice. um, and it's kind of we've kind of built that relationship up from there so it's that that TDF, I've got quite a personal attachment to it. Yeah. Because I've looked after it for so long. I'm like, oh, yes, here it comes. Back. Yeah, it's back in. Um, that would be, that's my, that's my one to look after. That's nice. There's a, still... there's a couple of laughs that come in that I'm similar with as well. Okay. That look after. Um, when, you, when you spend year after year looking after them, doing little bits, maintenance bits, and like really getting in deep with a car, I feel like I get attached to them. I, I suppose, nice. I think that's... I don't think that would be surprising to anyone either, especially because they're, they're such special cars. You know, it's not like you think of any other main dealer service where, let's say, Volkswagen, for example, you, know, you, you think of the turnover of cars that must come in every yeah, day. Yeah. Everything from a routine service to a recall or something like that. You're barely going to remember any any car that comes no, in. But when it. it's a, a LaFerrari that comes back or that TDF that comes back, it's it's a bit like a tutor seeing their student that's doing all right. Like, that's it, You're yeah. still going. You're still what we're working. trying to do over the after-sales side is, is break the barrier down between uh, customer and business. Mm. We're trying to make it a bit more personal. So um, it's a bit more of a friendly term. They can just drop in and say, oh, how are you doing, you know? I took my car out this the other and I saw this car. He said he knew you. Yeah. Coming to speak to you. And we try and keep it as personal as possible. Nice. So it's a nice atmosphere and people love to come back time and time again. Yeah. Um, I think there's one owner, I, I've looked after his laugh for a couple of years 
Um, and I met him for the first time and I said, yeah, no, I remember this because I, I did this on that year. Back in 2017, I had this out and mm-hmm. here's the pictures that I took on my phone because I'd, I'd take pictures of bigger jobs I'm doing just for my of own. Of course, yeah. Yeah, for my memories. And, and they're astounded to see their car I- in that amount of detail. Yeah. Because um, they'll never see it. No, they'll that's right. That's yeah, it. yeah, that's, that's it. And I think it's that, that as a, an owner of a car, even on my own cars that aren't necessarily anywhere near as special, there is something quite nice about seeing it stripped down and seeing... Yeah. Uh, I've got a yeah, Z3M Coupe that recently had the Vanos seals rebuilt in the engine, and it was just nice to be able to take bits of the head off and see that, oh, yeah, the cans are looking clean and stuff like that. It's, yeah. like, oh, it's a reassuring builds, if anything, that relationship. You, you get yeah, to know your does, car yeah. a bit better. And it's a bit you look exciting. at it in a completely different light, don't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. And become a bit more mechanically sympathetic as well, I think. Yes. You start thinking about, you, you can envision those moving parts and think, oh, is it a bit cold to be redlining at this point? Uh, <laughs> and not saying much about my uh, driving standards there. Uh, only because I think it's fair, Chris, uh, I gave Rob the chance to spec his dream car. I'm going to assume you're going to pick a TDF and I'd love to know your what would be your go-to spec, or is it not going to be a CDF? It probably will be. I mean, my favourite colour is Rosso F1 2007. Okay. First saw that colour, I was like, Whoa. it's got a bit of an orange tinge to it. It's a little bit darker than mm-hmm. most other reds, but it's not too dark. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosso Coburn is slowly moving into that section as well. Yeah. When that was, I first saw that on a, an FXXK. Oh, wow. And I was yeah. like, whoa, look at that. That's... That's a nice red. Yeah. Um, it would be a TDF, I think, yeah, in Rosso F1. Mm-hmm. Um, black, matte black, multi-spoke wheels. Calipers, I'd go yellow. I haven't really decided on the interior. Not that you've thought about this poor at all. No, that's it. No. <laughs> but it, it, it's different every car. Um, I know mm. a lot of customers are like, I always want to spec my next car different to my last one. I never yeah, want to go for the same colour. And I think I'd do the same. Um, this touches on a point we spoke about earlier, like when I first started, the differences mm. between cars coming in the workshop 16 years ago to now. Yeah. We're seeing so much more in different specs, and it's great. Uh, when I first started, it was it was Rosso Corsa with Crema or... Everything, yeah. Yeah, Nero Daytona with Crema, whereas now it's it's different every time. Like uh, purples, we're seeing a lot of different purples yeah. coming, and it works. And do you think that's just because people are getting a bit braver? Like yes, yeah, I guess yeah. a bit like if you get a company car, you're going to get it in silver because it's the, you know they're all going to sell afterwards. Yeah. Do you think nowadays people are less fussy about that sort of thing? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people have been a lot more confident. and they're, Like you say, they've been a lot less fussy. Um, 812 GTS, I'd, I'd, do, I'd do in a purple, Viola Hong Kong. Nice. Viola Hong Kong with some red accents here and there, little subtle bits. Like Rob said, I've not thought about this too much at all. <laughs> <laughs> Abu Dhabi Blue as well. I'd Ooh, like to try that out. I know that one. Yeah. What's, what is the amazing dark, dark green called, the official name? You've got a couple of different shades. So Verde Zeltweg almost looks black. Uh-huh. And then you've got Verde GB23, which is one that's been used quite a lot recently. And we've done an 812 Superfast in that mm-hmm. colour. And that is a um, quite a famous man on Instagram um, who's a client in, I think he's based between Italy and the States. Uh-huh. And he used that colour on his 599XX. And because it wasn't the colour that existed, he was allowed to name it. And because Ferrari like the colour so much, we've now got a colour sample hanging in our atelier ah. that customers can then go, oh yeah, can I have that colour? Yeah, I think I just spotted that. I was Dave very kindly gave me a quick tour of the showroom and we walked into the atelier a bit and they had, I think, that green that's yeah. on one of your spinning Definitely doors. Definitely a standout, yeah. Oh, that's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Would that... Did you say it was a 812 that that was on? So or, it was on his 599XX originally, yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, I remember saying... I'm sure it was an 812 I saw at Bista once, which had... A, that it was either that shade it was a very similar shade of green and it had the saddle leather interior mm. which 
that is the only leather I look at and think oh, I would love that. But that's quite a pricey option, isn't it, to get that saddle? Um, it depends what you do. I mean, the standard colour range, you've got Wyo, Iroko, Terabruci, so various shades of tans to browns. Mm. But then you can get semi-aniline leather as well, which is then slightly more costly, that looks like the, the more weathered leather. And then on the, the Superfast we've got in the showroom that's tailor-made, that's got the Count Prestige reddish-brown, that almost looks like an old antique sofa. Yes. The, the kind of the, the graining and the patterning on that. Mm. And that, like I said, that then does get a little bit more expensive. But even to the to the extent we did spec an eight twelve GTS um, in Grigio GTS, which was the launch colour, quite a dark grey, uh, with an Oroco uh, leather and Alcantara interior, and it's something you say it's a grey car with a brown interior. You think that's a bit iffy, mm. but when you see it, it is such a beautiful classic combination. And yeah, the green over tan thing as well at the moment. That's that's definitely making a comeback. Yeah, yeah, and rightly so because it is the best combination in my opinion. Uh, right, let's before we wrap things up, let's have a quick kind of look into the future. And for both of your roles, I'd be fascinated to see what your thoughts are about where you think the brand is going, who you think your customers are going to transform into. Because I think the car industry on the whole, we are going through such a transformative stage at the moment, aren't we? Is a lot of people are switching to EV. A lot of people aren't really buying cars anymore or they're using subscription services like Zipcar to, to use a car when they need to use a car, especially if we live in big city centres, that sort of thing. What do you see? Let's start, um, let's start with you, Chris, on the servicing side. How do you see the future of Ferrari? Let's say in, in another 16 years from now, what do you think the typical service will be on a car that's rolling in? Well, I mean, even it's, it's changed a lot in the last couple of years, let alone sort of like the next 16. So at the minute, they're doing a lot of dynamic servicing. So uh, for the first, it's, it's still every 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, if you've not done the mileage, oil and foot will change and push to the second year. Right. For economy reasons. It's strange because I'm, we're so used to doing oil and filters and all these extra bits on on every service but now if it's not done the mileage you only get certain bits um electric cars are coming there's no stopping it how do you feel about that i, I, I like hybrid mm. because the performance is blistering it's incredible yeah. electric I, i've driven a couple of electric cars i've not been too involved in it but i just not for me no i, I love a petrol engine it's the noise the feel mm. the feedback everything everything about it every, we've all all three of us i think we can agree we've grown up yep with that petrol smell. Um, but electric, like, like we say, it's coming. I personally feel like it's going to be a bit of a passing fad, like like, like 3D TVs. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, they're sort of no longer spoken about. Yeah. Obviously, people are looking into the hydrogen options. Yeah. Um, I'm still holding out hope that there's somebody somewhere in a white lab coat that's every so often you see these little suggestions and clips of things like algae or biofuels that would actually... Yeah warrant a working engine a combustion yeah. engine of some variety even if it's closer to diesel but some sort of combustion where there is a bit more soul there's a feel there's a sound i'm really hoping that something comes along and, and you're exactly right that in a few years time it, electric cars evs become the mini disc player That's where it. everyone got involved for a bit and then yeah. was like oh it was a bandwagon look at this mp3 this is good this will, this will work just as well if not better yeah so yeah we'll, we'll see we'll i think see. in terms of servicing and maintenance as well it's it's very much going more tester based yeah so you're less and less likely to pick up your tools it's uh software updates or it'll mm. be um at worst case like component replacements as electric vehicles come in 
Um, we see Porsches take hands, mm. go to the Porsche workshops, and they'll be on, on the ramps for 10, sorry, not 10 days, uh, two, one to two days for software updates. Wow. That's all it is. And that yeah. fixes 90% of the problems. Yeah. So that is the future of workshops, I think. Yeah. That's, that's what's going to happen. Interesting. Um, and it's, it's, it's a little bit sad because it's less hands-on. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I personally don't feel like it's quite as satisfying as a repair because mm. there's nothing better than uh, you've got an engine out, you, you've done a component replacement, you've timed your engine up, you've got that timing absolutely point to the point of where it's perfect. Start it up and it runs sweet. There's no better feeling. And you're not going to get that with an electric car because it's... No. no, that's very true. Yeah. At least, of course, you're still going to have... There are going to be many, many years. And I think a lot of people seem to forget this as well with this whole 2030 deadline of manufacturers only being able to sell at the very least some sort of hybrid technology. There has to be some sort of electrical component to cars from that point onwards. But of course, if you think about most people that drive cars at the, at the moment, you know, my most enjoyable car is a 1999 BMW. And, you know, there are going to be many people that keep cars for 20 or 30 years yeah. older than they are, keep them on the road, keep using it regularly. So there will be people coming in and still servicing. Um, Rob, what do you vision? Because I guess, do you, do you ever get any insight into what might be coming along from Maranello? We do, to a certain extent. There are some things that we don't know officially, but we've got to keep them under our hat. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain things that get leaked on forums and bits and bobs like yeah. that. Now, ultimately, from press releases a few years back, it was said that by 2023, 60% um, of the range is going to be hybrid. By 2025, we're going to reduce a fully electric car. It's The way that I feel the way it works with Ferrari is they're more inclined to do things they need to do to keep the combustion engine going. So if they need to build an electric car to satisfy EU regulations, they'll build that car and they'll still keep making, as it is now, V6 engines, V8 engines, V12 engines. I mean, the Pure are saying over the last week, um, they've announced that it is going to have a V12 engine. Yeah. So we're in 2022, we've got a new car coming out and it's gonna be a V12. And aren't they saying something ridiculous, like close to a thousand horsepower? So we don't know 100% yet if it's going to have any hybrid assistance on it or not. But ultimately, when we've got an 840 horsepower engine in an 812 only, you think that would be quite nice to have in a yeah. 4x4. Yeah. So that will translate across. But yeah, it's we know that the EV is going to come. It's We can't get away from that fact it is going to come. But the passion that Ferrari have got, so when the guys come over and they do product presentations for, for clients and for staff, one of the things that always resonates with me and has since I've started is whenever they talk about the exhaust note, then they always say it's not noise that comes out of the exhaust, it's music. Mm -hmm. And that in the world of Ferrari is a very pertinent point and they will want to do as much as they can to keep exhaust making authentic music before they have to put speakers in that make funny music and, and going down that route with it. So I think customers are accepting of the route that every manufacturer's got to go down because that's yeah. the way the world is. And ultimately, like Chris said, hybrid makes the cars faster. If you mm. take the hybrid systems off of a 296, off of an SF90, then the car is slower. Yes, it's lighter, but it's slower. And from having the experience that we get to drive these cars, I've not driven an SF90 and thought, this feels heavy, or not driven yes, a 296 right. and yeah. thought, this feels a heavy car. The, the expertise that the brand has got in using all the technology and the ideas they use in the world of racing and Formula One to translate across to road cars, we know whatever they announce, when reviewers get their hands on it, it's just going to get rave reviews because otherwise then Marinello wouldn't let it leave the gates. Good point. And I'd be interested, before we wrap things up, 
to get your perception and your understanding and your feel for the Pura Sangre, do you think this is a good thing for a Ferrari? Have you had lots of people inquiring about it, or do you think this is a bit of a strange sidestep? We've always had a V12 4x4 GT car. So there's always mm-hmm. been that four-seat car. Mm-hmm. Now, we're moving to that point where we're not bowing to customer demand, but we're reading the market and going, well, actually, it does make more sense if we have a four-door car. Now, we don't want to produce a saloon Ferrari. That's, that's not what we're about. But if we can do some form of, as they're calling it, an FUV, not an SUV, that satisfies that criteria, then it's eminently more usable because the, the GTC4 Luso, the FF, the bread van shape like the Z3M, it's a bit of a Marmite one where people either absolutely adore it or they don't really like it. And with other manufacturers doing their 4x4s, so the Urus, the DBX, the Bentayga, those types of cars, the market exists for it. Ferrari have waited, I think, for the right time to understand the market and where the gap is to fill to then go, right, this is what this car is going to be, and this is why we're doing it. There's there's always a rationale between any car that they ever announce and what the market actually, not needs, because no one needs a Ferrari, but yeah. they want one. Everyone yeah. wants a Ferrari. So I'm quietly, well, not quietly confident, we've got a very full order book already for the wow. car, and I think Ferrari said to us that the amount of orders that we've got is going to exceed the amount of cars we're going to get, which is, again, a normal thing in the world of Ferrari. So it's going to be a, uh, a fantastic, fantastic thing. Excellent. Do you share that sentiment? I do, yeah. Yeah, I don't... I'm not sure if it's, a, if it's something that Ferrari need to do, like, like what Rob says. Mm. I, I personally feel like it's a bit of a bandwagon they're jumping on, like with uh, Rolls-Royce with the Cullion and, and Bentley with their Bentayga. Um, it will sell well. It will do very well, yeah. and it will be a very good car. Yeah. Ferrari never let us down. Um, but... Yeah, it's the SUV market, isn't it? That's the thing. It is. We all laughed, didn't we, when Porsche came along and said, hey, we're going to make a four-wheel drive SUV and we're going to call it the KM. And that was their game went, changer, wasn't it? Yeah. The thing. yeah. But that car, I'm sure I'm right in saying this, it put, the, it put Porsche as a brand within the Volkswagen group as the highest value on the stock market for yeah. a couple of months at mm-hmm. least because suddenly everyone in the world wanted, you know, who was driving around in a... Volkswagen Touareg or perhaps an old Land Rover product, it was like, oh, I can get one of these, but it's got a Porsche badge on the yeah. front. It doesn't have to be a Toyota RAV4. And that's, that saved yeah. them as well, didn't it? Completely enough, yeah, absolutely saved them. saved them. And whilst um, I don't think Ferrari needs saving, I think I'll take a bit of what you both said there in reaction and with agreement. And that first, first one being that Ferrari have sat back and kind of observed everybody else and seen how they've done it and then gone okay, we're ready to have a go now as well. Yeah. And it is going to be brilliant. You know, it is going to handle fantastically. There is going to be an option for a big, exciting engine. It is going to sell like hotcakes. And it is going to be something that needs to roll into a showroom and get serviced yeah. with an engine, which is exciting. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, for that reason, I think it should be celebrated. Yeah, it should be. It, it's, it's, I see it as very strange because you think Ferrari, you just think race car. Mm. Uh, it's on the track, it's racing, it's fast. That's the history, isn't it? That's that it, is yeah. the history of the brand. And the SUV is, is kind of a bit away from that. I think that's sort of my take on it. I think with time, that I might I might change my opinion. Yeah, um, I might change my take on that one. I think it will be but when we first get to drive and we go actually, yeah, yeah, because yeah. the Euros did really well else. as well, didn't it? That's right. That took off very well. Yeah, that's very true. That is very true. Very good. Right, well, gentlemen, thank you both so much for yeah, giving me you. an hour yeah, of your time. It's been fantastic to come and see this.
glorious brand new showroom. It's all looking so shiny and fresh. If people are listening and thinking, oh, well, Colchester's not that far away or I'm only down the road, do you, uh, can people come in and have a look around? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's the kind of thing we'd like to encourage people to actually come in because it's not a massive footfall showroom. Mm. And it's nice just to have conversations and even people who've not necessarily thought, I'd like to buy a Ferrari one day, just come in and have a chat with us and understand that it's more than you're buying a car. You're buying into a family, you're buying into a relationship and there's just so much around the world of Ferrari that is more than just owning a car. It's just an enjoyable, enjoyable thing. Perfect. Well, thank you both so much and um, good luck for 2022. Thank you. And yeah. your, your quest for the Testarossa Awards. I both uh, got some revision points to uh, to focus on and hopefully we'll be seeing Fingers crossed, uh, yeah yeah because yeah. it's a it's a rare thing isn't it to have one dealership that has two Testarossa winners isn't it is so it? we yeah we never thought in a million years because when they done the online announcement they announced the sales executive first yeah so obviously the longest five minutes of my yeah. life I swear <laughs> so I'm absolutely over the moon but on the the flip side of that I'm thinking oh Chris is in the top three. There's no way that two people from the same dealership yeah. are going to so win that, their categories. And can I, yeah, can I tell him obviously how we found all this out from like start to finish? So yeah, yeah. yeah. We went to obviously because everything was done via Zoom and whatnot. Um, if it's in Italy, normally it's start and finish within four days. Uh -huh. Whereas this was drawn out over a couple of months. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, that was painful. So yeah, we finished all our exams. Was it sort of September, November time? I think it was November. Yeah. And uh, I got the chance to go to Mugello for the finale mondiale. Mm -hmm. And I was just walking around on the Sunday, sort of taking in what was going on. And they've got this big tent with all the F1 cars over the years. Mm. Now, anyway, I see this podium at the end and they're filming something. So I go, oh, I can see wonder over, see what it is. Anyway, there's a big slideshow on the back that says Testarossa Awards 2021. I'm like, oh no, what have I walked in on here? So I've messaged Rob saying, Rob, I need you to look at this message really quick. Uh, <laughs> they're doing the videos for the top the three and the winner's announcements. So they're filming them all in one sitting. I said, what do you want me to do? And he went, don't go anywhere. Find out who's in the top three. So really? they announced the top three, and obviously I see me and Rob have made top three for our categories, and I'm on such a high. I'm like, <laughs> this is brilliant. Uh, and I said, right, I'm walking off. I don't want to know who's won yeah. it. Because if I find out that I haven't won it, it's yeah. going to be such a wave of emotions. Um, so that's, that's how we found out. We found out a little bit earlier than we should have done. Amazing. Um, and then obviously they announced the winners, and... I was trying to do this really nice and quietly at my toolbox to find out because we've all got computers. <laughs> oh, but everyone was involved. Yeah, Absolutely I turn around everyone. and the workshop's yeah. behind me. Everybody's standing there like, we're going to watch a video with you. Oh, man. Um, so Rob's, yeah, Rob's got announced first and um, everyone was like, nah, it, it can't be both of you. It'll never be both of you. They'll never let the same dealership have more than one winner. But yeah, technician was last out of all the five categories and they said, yeah, no, Chris, Johnny, Colchester. Yes. Wow. Amazing. So yeah, two winners, one dealership. Yeah. Hell of an accolade. Yeah, that is incredible. That is incredible. Well, no pressure. For yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm going to come back in a year, and if you both haven't got the title then, then I'll be very disappointed. Not angry, just disappointed. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks both so much. Uh, thank you, dear listener, for joining us with this. And um, yeah, as Robin Chris say, if you want to come along and have a look at this wonderful facility, please do, because it is amazing. I can't promise there's going to be an F40, an F50, an Enzo, a LaFerrari. 
a Monza and various other special things here, but there's always going to be some special Ferraris here, so worth coming to have a look. Um, don't forget, you can find out everything that we do at drivenchat.com if you want to contact the show. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can do so via email podcast at drivenchat.com. And don't forget, we have our YouTube channel as well with some lovely videos on there featuring yours truly driving around in some rather lovely press cars. Uh, for now, I will say thank you very much for listening, and I will speak to you again next week. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. There we go. Thank you so much for listening. My thanks again to Chris and Rob for being such amazing hosts. I also want to say a very special thank you to Dave and Josephine here at Jardin Colchester Ferrari, who effectively are the reason that I'm here. The two of them reached out to me on social media and with a bit of correspondence over email, we discussed this day, this beautiful event that's been surrounded and, and flooded, I should say, by amazing supercars, hypercars and special cars that people have brought along to celebrate this new fitted showroom. It's really, really been a spectacular day. Don't forget, you can check out the dealership. Look at our social feeds at Driven Chat, and I'll include the links through to the showrooms feeds. I'll also include photos and a couple of reels of the amazing cars that they have here, uh, including some of the cars that we spoke about in detail in the chat with Rob and Chris. For now, I will say thank you so much for listening. Look forward to speaking to you again next week. And don't forget, of course, you can see everything we do at the website, drivenchat.com and on the YouTube channel. Just go onto YouTube and search Driven Chat or youtube.com forward slash Driven Chat and you'll see all of the videos that we are putting together as well as the audio files for these episodes as well. Thank you so much for listening. It is brilliant that you are with us and I look forward to bringing you a new episode next week. The Driven Chat podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. 